Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I am the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it's a great privilege to be able to reach out once again and say hello to all of you and to enjoy the privilege of being able to look at the Word of God together. I especially want to say hello to my congregation. You're very much missed here, and um, seems like forever since we had a church service together um, in the youth room where um, we normally meet on Wednesday nights. But I know that God is with you, and I know that his protection and his health and provision is with you. I know that his presence is with you. And I just want you to know that um, you are very much in my prayers and my thoughts, and um, I'm very grateful to be able to say hello to all of you. And to those of you from uh, our extended Saints Network family, greetings. Uh, we are particularly praying this week for the Saints Network reps and leaders in, in Western Europe. And um, today, for instance, we are privileged to pray for Pastor Michel Barbez in Tournai, Belgium. And um, uh, we have been praying for an individual leader each day, and we'll continue that through next week. But we focused on, on Western Europe this week because so many of um, the leaders from Western Europe would have been convening in Sofia Antipolis near Nice in France for the National Seminar, which has been going on annually for a great number of years now. And we are absolutely saddened that we don't have the privilege of being able to see our, our friends, our loved ones there in person. We will be reaching out um, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, providing a number of messages, a number of teachings that Luke Benishon is going to faithfully translate for us. Um, so even though we won't be able to be there, we will be providing um, the word of the Lord, much of which would have been given had we been there in person. But... We are praying for God to do what he wants to do in those beautiful nations. And we believe that God is in this time of waiting. You know, we've been talking a lot over the past number of weeks about valleys in the scripture. And uh, I don't need to explain this to our saints family, but valleys truly represent a point of promise from God it's a place where opposition is going to be faced. And it truly is the gap that stands between the mountain of promise and the mountain of fulfillment. Today, we want to look at a valley which is uh, spoken of in the book of Joshua. And um, normally we've been doing these valley exhortations on the off days from uh, on our Facebook page from when network folks are giving words of ex exhortation. But this teaching I felt very strongly about, and we're going to go with it tonight on Wednesday Night Live. I gave it kind of an Indiana Jones type of a uh, heading, Joshua in the Valley of Trouble. And um, I... I know that this is a rhema word of God for us and it speaks to us about one of the things that God may be doing in all of our lives during this particular season of waiting. You know, I, I wanted to reiterate something that we spoke on right after, not too long after the seminar here in Dallas in March. And on March 29th, I spoke a message called God's Little Harem. And we talked about what that mean, that word harem means. I mean, 
most of us in America, we think of a harem as something that a, um, uh, an Arabian prince would have, a, a gathering of women, whether you call it his concubines or whatever. And he would call it a harem because that was dedicated to him. And anybody who permeated that harem for some other uh, lustful pursuit was going to be on the top 10 list for those who were going to be killed. <laughs> so on the one hand, harem means something that is dedicated, something that is treasured, something that is set aside. But on the other hand, it also meant that um, if you messed with it and you weren't supposed to, you were accursed and you were going to be dealt with rather harshly, rather severely. And so um, we also talked during that message about how Mount Hermon, which was considered the holiest mountain in Israel, uh, was truly Mount Harem. And there we talked about the passage that speaks about how the, the unity of the brethren would produce the dew that came from Harem. And subsequently, that would be a blessing to the people, to the leadership, to the land. And it was a time, it, was, it spoke about consecration. And finally, we also said that it is likely that this mountain was what was the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, and we know that uh, that was a point of transformation. It was a point of consecration. It was a point of dedication for what was coming. And um, all of those things we considered, my goodness, it's almost two months ago. <laughs> Can you believe it? You know, I was also thinking, and we are going to get to Joshua. This is I, I, I haven't had a filibuster recently, so you got to give me some slack here. I was also thinking about a prayer time we had during our Dallas gathering. And it was for the nations. And we felt that the Lord was commissioning us to have a prayer time where we ask him to show us what he was doing in the nations. And when I prayed, I was used to other times where God would reveal things about a particular country or a continent or he'd show me things that he was preparing to release um, in his timing, in his anointing upon the world. But this time it was really strange to me and it, it, it was, it was a, a combination of being um, comforted, comforted, but also it seemed like inactivity. And I, I spoke about this, how that I felt that I was positioned in front of where representatively the throne of God is in heaven. And I was looking out over uh, the tranquility of the sea of glass and uh, I, I was contemplating a relative sense of calm and a, a, a point of rest. And I, I was blessed by that, but I was also somewhat amazed that I wasn't seeing the plethora of activity that I normally would see. And at the time, I, I said it was comforting, it was an honor, but it was also a bit perplexing to me because of what I just said. Um, I was not sensing a lot of activity, and I couldn't figure out why that was. Well, in retrospect, as I was praying this morning, the Lord brought that back to my mind. And, and I wish at the time I had been more uh, of a, fore, of a f forecaster, that type of a product, prophet, who could have said, okay, this is what's coming upon the world. Little did I know that states would shut down, international travel would be totally verboten for a while. Um it's not that God is inactive, but this is a time where there are a lot of necessary things going on 
between us and God in, in, in our intercession on behalf of what's coming. And I say necessary things because one by one, God has been showing us things in his word, things that he does during times such as this. And we're going to look at one of them today. But um, it's, um, it's, a, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to serve our God and to know that he's in control. Whatever he has promised, he's going to do. But this season is not, it's not something that is inactive. I've used that term a number of times now. But it's something that God is needing to do in us so that we might be transfigured, so that we might be transformed, so that we might be made ready, so that we might be purified, so that we might be um, made acceptable for what is coming. God does things like that. Uh, in, In fact, he said, there's a lot, there's so many of these illustrations. Maybe we just don't see them. We like to skip ahead, skip ahead, brother, to the active times, to the times where God's promising us things. But in the time of Selah, God is dealing with a lot of things in us, and he's perfecting, and he's, uh, he's, he's getting us ready. You know, like the times when God spoke to Pharaoh and the kabod of the Lord would come upon him during the days of Moses. God was giving him an opportunity to accept the the plan of Yahweh, but instead it hardened. It hardened the the heart of of Pharaoh. Um, In the book of Revelation, it speaks about how uh, a particular church is chastised for allowing Jezebel to, to teach and to corrupt people. And uh, God said there that he gave space to repent, space to turn, but that didn't happen. And, of course, Jezebel, as we've taught on many occasions, is not some Mata Harry that dresses in a red dress and goes around trying to seduce men. I guess in these days it could be both ways. Um. But Jezebel is that name means a virgin dedicated to Baal. And there's a lot of the Babylonian system. Mystery Babylon is is not coming upon the world. It is ingrained into the world system. And I think that one of the things God is doing right now is He's causing us to be submitted so much to Him that if there are vestiges of that Babylonian system in us, God wants them out to where we would be either an operative or an agent or susceptible at the very least. Um, I know that I know that every one of these things that I've talked about over the past weeks are things that God has been presenting to me. And if he's presenting them to me, I know that he's also doing it on behalf of many of you in your lives. So this is a time of preparation. It's a time of, of uh, refinement. But it's also a time of searching ourselves and being a people who are making ourselves as much as we possibly can devoted and dedicated to God so that when ye is ready to move when there's the marching and the sounds of the trees or when there is uh, the suddenly that God has reserved for opening up the world again for travel, for ministry. When that time comes, we're going to be ready, God willing. So this is not a time where we're just spinning our wheels and you know, oh, woe is me. I'm so lonely. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you this, and I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. And I know there are some people who just thrive on social interaction. And others really like to be more than themselves. 
if you are addicted to social interaction, that next step in the next apartment is that you'll go along to get along. And maybe God's trying to break you of some of that. In fact, I know he's trying to break you of some of that. So if you're still in that thing saying, oh, I'm so lonely, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to demean anybody who has insecurity issues. But listen, you're in the army of the Lord. You're in the army of the Lord. I know that the statistics, I listened to the press conference yesterday at the president's, uh, at the White House, and there was a psychiatrist who spoke about how that suicides are on the rise. That's, that's a terrible thing. But really, what is that? It's that people, when they're brought to themselves, there's a hunger for God. There's an empty place, and they just, for whatever reason, either don't know how or are unwilling to fill it with the presence of the Lord. So they come to the point where uh, the enemy um, appeals to them and the Blue Oyster Cult song, Don't Fear the Reaper, comes and, you know, the MASH theme, Suicide is Easy, you know, and they just are convinced to, to end it. That's terrible. We need to believe that God is sending his spirit to those people and that they will be willing to hear the still small voice. But if you, dear saint, are really struggling with um, the gratuities of social interaction. You need to really go before the Lord and ask him to fill that void. And you need to ask him to rectify whatever it is in you that's been twisted to where that's a problem and not a benefit. Perhaps it's really something that God gave you to be evangelistic, and you have, throughout the years, uh, innocently filled that with social social interaction. I don't know why I'm saying all this, because I really wasn't intending to. Maybe this is a message for someone who's hearing this right now, and you're really struggling. Maybe somebody just tuned into this. You're not part of the Saints Network. I rebuke that spirit of suicide and that languishing in the morass of your own self-pity, And I say, rise up, call upon the Lord, and let him fill that void in your life. He's the answer you need. Um, But to the saints, use this time, because God has sequestered you, and uh, I know the enemy's out there working too, and I believe that this virus is something the enemy initiated. It's brought a lot of suffering. It's brought a lot of pain. Um but God is using it, which is why we need the blood of Jesus upon us to protect us from this pestilence. And um, I know that he will. So let's get back to Joshua in the Valley of Trouble. And um, we see, let me set the stage for this. Teacher says, whenever a bell rings, I had this... Uh, silent mode off because I was interacting with a number of saints already this morning from a number of different nations. That's kind of my life, this little phone of mine, this little phone of mine um, is a blessing in many ways because it affords the opportunity to have almost instantaneous contact with people around the world who are doing the work of the Lord. And so I just put it on pause now. It's not happening again. Okay, so Israel in the book of Joshua had just seen a great victory in Jericho, their first point of battle when they came in to the promised land after um, the necessary circumcising time at Gilgal. And I don't need to regale you the story of Jericho. You know what it was. Um, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. But God had told the people um, in Joshua 6, the city shall be accursed, harem, even it and all that are therein to Yahweh. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent 
And you in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, harem, lest you make yourselves accursed, haram, when you take of the harem thing and make the camp of Israel a harem and trouble it. Well, there's a lot of harems in there. This instance was one where the people were supposed to have been eliminated, but the specific monetary items that were in there were to be dedicated to the house of the Lord. Now, Joshua was given commands in the other cities that God was delivering into the hand of the people of God. And um, there were restrictions uh, on the people when they attacked those cities. Um, they were supposed to eliminate all the inhabitants. And, but there, was, there were increasing times where God allowed them to keep some of the spoils. Um, you remember the, the story of Saul when he was supposed to kill all of the inhabitants of a city and he was supposed to kill all, to destroy all the, the goods. And instead he, he kept livestock and famous words of Samuel to him. What then is this bleeding of the sheep? Um, but this first time out, everything in Jericho was supposed to be either destroyed or submitted to the use of what would then become arguably the, the house of the Lord. Um, so everybody goes in, Rahab is saved, the walls after falling down, miraculously there is a great victory and the people are rejoicing. And nothing's said immediately, but they start planning their next attack against the city of Ai. Now, Ai doesn't mean artificial intelligence, but it does include the area where Bethel is, which was a very uh, holy place for the patriarchs. And so it was a place of note. So the council comes to Joshua and they say, this isn't that big of a deal, this city. Uh, we don't need to go up as a mighty big army. We we could send like thirty, th we could send like three thousand soldiers up there. So Joshua says, "Okay, that sounds good." Well, those soldiers get up there, and suddenly they're put to flight, and thirty-six of the people get killed, and the 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 people of AI are just rejoicing that they have really thwarted this invading army that had just destroyed Jericho. No doubt they'd heard about this. So something's amiss. And Joshua dons sackcloth and he starts praying and he asks, God, what, what happened? Did you lead us up here so that we can be ridiculed by the inhabitants of the land? And God says, there's an accursed thing here and you need to find out who it was that did it and you need to eliminate them, which would mean they're going to be stoned and by all the people, and they're going to be burned. So they go begin, they be, God, God didn't prophetically say, okay, I'm going to give you a name, I'm going to give you an address, here's the dude that did it, you go get him. That would have, you know, some of us would like to think if Joshua's prophetic skills were greater, he could have just known that. He could have sent in a hit squad and they could have taken care of it. Well, that's not what God did. They start parading all the people before Joshua, family by family. And during this episode, they find that um, a particular, somehow the Spirit of the Lord directs, okay, this man, you need to single him out. And then in his household, there's a guy who did this. And they finally settle on Achan, who had done this. And Achan 
A-C-H-A-N, is a meaning that I, I would never consider naming my son by this. I don't have a son, so that's, and I'm not lamenting that. I'm happy for the daughters I have and the granddaughters that God's blessed us with. So those of you who have sons, I bless you, but I'm not one of those guys that's saying, oh, woe is me, I never had a son. I'm happy the way I am. But if I had a son, I would never have considered naming him Trouble. I mean, who does that? Well, that's what Aiken's name means, Trouble. Um, he was trouble waiting to happen. And um, certainly, here comes Trouble. And he says that, I indeed have sinned against the Lord, Joshua 7, there it is on your teaching sheet, against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. He says that when he was in Jericho, he saw three things. One of them was silver. One of them was gold. And another one was a goodly Babylonish garment. Now, silver, I, I, you know, you can look at the monetary value of these, but I think they really are symbolic, and I'm not <clears throat> stretching it by elaborating a bit here silver is a lieutenant color it speaks about positioning and sometimes it speaks about jostling for positioning gold is arguably the the testing of our faith our adherence to duty it's it's finding the the beauty of the essence of the word of god and applying that it's the word of god is more precious than gold and our faith in that is being tried so that we can emerge as those of purest gold and then the babylonish the goodly babylonish garment let's just hit these real quick garment doesn't mean uh, a suit of clothes necessarily it can also mean mantle it can mean it can mean a number of different things. I would think that it means mantle. Uh, goodly is tobe. And Babylonish is our, I haven't talked about this in a long time, but it's shinar or shinar, whichever way you want to pro pronounce it. Um, so this garment, I think, I don't want to go too far with this, but I think that it wasn't just pretty. Or worth a lot of money. I think that it had something to do with somebody who represented the gods of Babylon. Remember in Zechariah, the, the Shinar women who was carrying that ephah into Babylon? And that was a prophetically seen thing. And um, I, I think that this probably was something from that f foreign land that was used to... Maybe it was from a priest of, of, of a cult in Shinar. Maybe they would, would declare to people the right way to go since it was a tobe garment. Mostly tobe in the, New in the Old Testament spoke about, you know, we talked about the tree of the knowledge of good, tobe, and raw. It usually speaks of the purpose of God. It usually is used to describe something that's comparatively better it's not necessarily something that describes beauty, even though you do have the instance when David was up on the, on the roof and he was looking over at, at uh, the bathing Bathsheba and she was Tobe. It doesn't necessarily mean that she was a knockout, even though she obviously was. Uh, but it meant that she was better than anything else around there that David's eyes could have looked at. And... Um, so Tobe would, would, would indicate that this was something that probably was used for a purpose that wasn't noble, especially if it was a, gar a mantle. So we don't know this. I'm just looking at the meanings of the words. I don't think it was just like finding a Louis Vuitton bag. Oh, man, this is expensive. I want to keep this or uh, some kind of a of a of a watch that 
is made in the finest labs in Switzerland that's worth 25 grand or more. I mean, I think those three things, anything that the people would have kept would have been accursed. But Aiken trouble was led to these. And so, you know the story. They, um, he comes, he confesses. What's, what's he going to do? The spirit had identified him. And he tells where the stuff is. They, the people stone him. They burn the bodies. And uh, they name the valley where all this was done the Valley of Achor, which is the Valley of Trouble. Hence, Joshua and the Valley of Trouble. Now, what's this mean for us? I think, in fact, I know that God is, it's not that, I think the, I think it'd be safe to say the world has been languishing in sin. I think it's safe to say that the enemy is putting things in place for the time of the end when the, the great whore of Babylon, same place, is going to try to get drunk on the blood of the saints and corrupt the world. That's in the word, so it's coming. Um, I think that um, there are a lot of ways that that system has tried to permeate us. And, um, and I think that God is wanting to, to talk to us about those issues. Now, we're stopped here, not because we failed, but the enemy thinks we failed. God lets the enemy think that, and it always happens before God rises in seven ways and puts the enemy to flight. Um, I think that there have been some, well, I don't think this, I know this, who have dealt within themselves concerning the gold of the Word, the gold of the Word of God that has been given to us. They've struggled with that. I think that there are some who have struggled to find positioning in places they shouldn't be. And I think there's some who have firmly strapped the mantle of Babylon onto them, and they think that this is a way to Tob. I think this is happening in a lot of places around the world. I think that it's happening in uh, religious circles right now. It's happening in denominations across our country, and it's happening in places where it ought not to be. Uh, you're waiting for the enemy to come and raise up an altar and bring desolation to the holy place. Dear Lord, that's happening in some places right now. And I think God's saying you need to, you need to deal with it. Now, we can't call somebody up, publicly stone them, burn them. You know, that's just not going to fly. I mean, we'd be, on, we'd be on the cover of the National Enquirer, the face of a, of a stoner. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, there are so many things in the Old Testament that people, modern people, mock and they say, oh, how can you stone and kill a witch? How can you do this? Those things were types for us. And God said, you need to take whatever these people are doing. What do you mean, these people? Whatever these people are doing, and you need to, you need to consider it being not only serious, it is it is death and life. And, and I believe that the Lord has brought us to a point of pause before we continue on in our conquest of the land on behalf of the Lord God and on behalf of the nations. And he's saying, all right, you know, you've perfected yourself, you've circumcised, you have waited on me, you've seen me begin to do tremendous things. Now you're going to go into the heart of the land and the lands, and you're really not ready. How could Israel not have been ready? I mean, goodness, they wandered for 40 years. They had Moses. They had Joshua. They saw the splitting of the Jordan. They, they went to Gilgal, they, which was an encampment of the angelic. If you don't believe that, look at the days Joshua when he died and an angel of the Lord comes from the camp in Gilgal. So it was there. It's not me making it up as some fanciful daydream. Um, they were positioned. They went and saw this tremendous victory in perhaps the greatest walled city 
in all of the promised land. I mean, if you take that one down, you you should know that any other cities, God can do that too. I mean, it's kind of like if you face the 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 Super Bowl champs in your first week and they're largely intact and you put a whooping on them, you should say, hey, you don't want to get big-headed, but from here on out, if we just do our job, nobody's going to beat us. Israel had it going on, but yet there wasn't that um, there wasn't that cleansing. In fact, maybe Moses was right. He was wrong in his disobedience to God, but maybe he was right when he looked out over that group and including that in, in that group was Achan. And he said, you rebels, you ingrates. You know, you're just as bad as the ones who, your ancestors who died in this wilderness. No, did you ever think about that? Achan, if he was close enough, heard that. And that should have been a shocker to him. But instead, it wasn't. So I would say to all of us, as we're waiting right now, we haven't been defeated. And really, the army of Israel wasn't really defeated. There were 30, there were 3,000 that went against AI, 36 died. That's tragic. Any loss of life is, is bad. But the next time they go up, they go up with 30,000. So they were, they were just kind of, forgive me for saying this, but they were just kind of messing around. Maybe they needed this wake up to say, don't take any of these, any of these cities lightly. You need to go before me and you need to hear what I'm saying. Just because I've opened the nations doesn't mean you can just sail through without any ongoing dedication. But what really brought this to light was this business with Achan. Maybe, maybe there are people who are dealing with jealousies and their positioning. Maybe there are people who are fooling around with God's word and thinking that there are other things that bring gold. Maybe there are people who got a fancy tobe mantle from Shinar straight off the presses for the queen of heaven. If, if that's you, get on your face before God and repent. But I don't think it's most of us. But I do think we need to go and say, Lord, if we in any way thought that with the with the plethora of great victories that we knew you were putting before us, if we were taking that lightly, forgive us. If in any way, if we were, forgive us. And Lord, if there's any way that we have vulnerability from the, uh, the, 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 the great whore of Babylon in us, we want it out of us. If we have jostled with any point of jealousy and rebellion or positioning, forgive us. If, if we have not treasured the word and our faith in the way we should have, or if we're going after other voices or considering something else equal to either intercession or your word, forgive us. Those are some big things. And even if, even if that's not you, it would do you well to go before God and ask him to search you. I know I intend to. Now, we know what happens. God then directs after the stoning and the burning and the uprooting of these treasures that should have been de dedicated to the Lord. After all that, God says, here's the strategy, which they did not have beforehand. I'm not blaming all this on Achan. I mean, I, I don't understand how Joshua, the great commander, could have bought into this. Yeah, we don't need to. We can send the B team out there. You know, we're the dream team. We can send some couple of scrubs in the end of the bench, a couple of slow white guys, and a couple of college kids. We can beat this team. Joshua wasn't going to do that again. So he wasn't innocent in this whole thing. So this time, 
God says, here's what you do. You send up a small group of stragglers. You can be among them, Joshua. And um, you let these people think, oh, here they come again. We're going to go out and rout them once more. You send the 30,000 and you go up behind them. And when these people come flooding out and let them chase you for a while, and then I want that big army to just destroy that city, burn it with fire, totally destroy it all. And they capture the king of this place and they hang him until the going down of the sun on a tree. I don't think it was a mulberry tree. Wouldn't that have been cool? Not for the king, but for our storytelling. And so they don't, they don't mess around. The fear of God is on all the people. And um, that's what finally happens. It ends up well. But I, I do think that we're in the valley right now and we need to purge whatever trouble might be dwelling in any of us. We need to deal with things as God leads, if you're a pastor, that have been lingering. I know there are some things that God, as I've waited on him, God says, okay, it's time now, and here's what I want you to do within your own purview, within your own house. Not my personal home, but you know what I mean. What I'm responsible for. And so that's a word. Now I want us to look at a really wonderful passage that speaks of this this uh, valley of Achor. <laughs> Hosea has not forgotten about the valley of Achor, neither has the Spirit of the Lord who inspired him to write. And in Hosea chapter 2, beginning at verse, verse 14, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. That comfortably is leb, the heart. So there's some, there's some really intimate deliberations between God and this person in the wilderness. That's what's happening right now, isn't it? I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor, there's that valley, the valley of trouble, for a door of hope. And she shall sing there. Oh, sweet mystery of life. Now, it, that can mean singing. It can mean prophesying. It can mean declaring. Um, as in the days of her youth, uh, that's no singing. That's what, um, that's what God says. He's going to renew the viewpoint, the perspective from whatever it was when you were young in the Lord, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt, the beginning times in the land of promise. Now, some say, well, isn't that talking about Miriam, and isn't that talking about Aaron, and playing the tambourine, a horse rider, the song of Moses? Well, it could mean that, but it's really talking about the nation itself, and it's talking about resetting. It's listing a bunch of things here that you know, the Valley of Achor, the, when they first came into the land. And uh, I would think that it more has to do with being ready to take up your place in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, and commune with God. And it shall be at that day, says Yahweh, that they shall call, that thou shalt call me Ishi, <laughs> uh, and shalt call me no more Baali, Baali. Now, what does that mean? Um, Bali is master or controller. So God's really not going to be the, uh, the uh, taskmaster anymore. I think it's, for, it's interesting that it's formed out of Baal, which we've talked about Beelzebub being a controller uh, of the, the enemy resources and being one that knows how to manage things, a dwindling supply, not I'm not praising Beelzebub, but it's the same word. And um, so God says, you're not going to call me a taskmaster anymore. You're going to call me is either a mature one. Most, most romantists say that it just means husband. 
But if you look at how this word is used, it, it doesn't always mean that. It can just mean a mature man, a mature one who would stand alongside. And so with God, the objective is for us to be serving him as our elder brother, to be serving him as one that is with us in an El Shaddai kind of way. Yes, we are to to be the bride of Christ. I, I recognize that. But too often we get those bride songs in our head and we forget that when the angel showed John in Revelation the bride of Christ, it was what God had promised for the land in the new Jerusalem, but in what God's wanting to bring on this earth. So being a bride isn't just dolling yourself up and cooing. It, it's that you're going to be a partner with God. So, but what about this turning the valley of Achor into a door of hope? This was the alternative title of our message today. Trouble into hope. The valley into a doorway. I think this, I know this is also where we are. Because in this valley of waiting, of refining, of trusting God, of waiting on Him, listening for His voice, we also know that God has prepared a table before us in the presence of the enemies, and the valley is going to be exalted, and we are really preparing the way of the Lord for the righteous nation to enter in that wilderness place. All of those things are true and wonderful. But what, what God says is, in this place, a door of hope. Remember when we did those studies about hope? Here, it's the Hebrew tikwa, which means to twist together like the making of a cord, to entwine or to intertwine. And this is really one of the things that God is doing with us right now. In the New Testament, hope is so many things, but at heart, it is you going before God, knowing Him intimately in the in an integral way, let, allowing Him to know you, and not just know about you, because God knows everything about you, but to welcome Him to know you. And through that, we become strong. We're we're unified with him. We're, we're united with him. We're together with him. And um, this is um, an amazing thing. The door of hope. Through that then, in this gateway that has been put on hold, we're going to begin to recognize the doors of commune, the doors of commerce, the intricacies of how God wants to manage things uh, within the places where we break through the gates, and um, to know what to do inside the cities. And I think that's an interesting contrast because Achan let his iniquities guide him inside the city of Jericho. And in the midst of that valley of trouble, God is drawing near, coming into a place of inseparable union with us. We're being strengthened by being bonded together with him. And he's speaking to us about doors, what to do inside the places of conquest. Listen, friends, we, we need this. We desperately need this. And um, I just think it's so poetic, the door of hope. So here's Hosea saying, you know, I'm going to lead you by my heart into the wilderness where I want you to be a voice crying unto me. I'm going to give you vineyards here, and I'm going to restore the days of your youth, the, the vitality of what I really commissioned and called you to be. 
Now, again, in the refining, some saints that I have known, and of course I'm not excluding myself, get that mixed up. I've known some people that have tremendous giftings, but they're always in turmoil because it's not what they want it to be. It's not what their closest, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a, a, a counselor. It's not what that person is egging them on to. And their ambitions corrupt the empowerment that's really in them. So I'm not saying God's going to restore all those nonsensical opinions you have about how great you are and how you're being bypassed by everybody. I'm saying that God wants to go back to the root of what you initially said. All I want is to seek God and to know him. And all your gifting should facilitate that. And you shouldn't be like Achan, who was struggling with that position and who was hearing other voices and who made himself vulnerable to the Babylonian system. Well, I've gotten off into meddling and preaching there. So when you're singing, as in the days when you came out of Egypt, it's really remembering what God really wants from you. And it's not by your might or by your power or your opinion, but it's by his spirit. And in that day, you're going to know God as your, your groom, but you're going to know him as your elder brother. You're going to know him as the mighty God of of. of of heaven and you're going to be his friend you're privileged to be that and you're you're not going to just be following him because you better if you know what's good for you that's how most of the church deals they they're motivated more by fear than love you know i'm not going to sow my tithe forward in faith i better give it or the pestilence is going to get me or i'm going to get wiped out well i better do what's right or I'm going to burn in hell. I better not do this because if I do, God's going to fry me with a lightning bolt. I know how it goes. I was in the church for a long time and I better, before I go up to communion, I better do a real quick think through of all the stuff I've done wrong because if if, if I go up there and take it and I've got sin in my life, God's going to kill me right then. Just not what communion is really saying. Yes, there's accountability. But too many people in the church think that. I know it. So we're, we're going to know God in a deeper way. And through that, he's going to, in a place where trouble could be, where trouble has been, Instead, God is speaking to us about what to do in the doorways, what to do in managing commerce, and managing blessing, managing commune, how to facilitate within the places God gives you in victory. And it's hope. You're going to be doing that with him. You're going to be intertwined with him. So, I come to the closing of this message by saying that I do believe this is a rhema word from our God. And I do believe that we are in a wonderful place in him. Point by point, he's been talking with us about what to do in this time of waiting how to know him in a deeper way, a way that he has prescribed for us, how to be sensitive to his timing, how to follow his voice in the intricacies of warfare, spiritual warfare that are coming, how to stay in obedience and not go off into iniquity, uh, how to be cleansed and purged, by his spirit through commune with him and obedience to him so that we are not vulnerable to failing in the days to come. How not to take lightly what is 
about to be presented before us in the fields of the Lord. I don't know how much longer this is going to wait. I can't. I said this uh, on Sunday. How long did David wait at the mulberry tree before he heard the marching of the armies of God? And then he said, okay, it's time to go. We just need to be ready. And I do think God's going to give us some insights. We don't want to jump the gun. We don't want to go ahead and get blasted because we didn't wait. Um, But cherish this time. Embrace this time. And um, make it everything God has wanted it to be. God has not lost control. He is not sleeping. You're not perishing. Everything's fine. Embrace the time God has given. And we're going to be ready for what is going to happen when the gates are open and the church is being established through this time with God. We're going to know what to do in the doors that are available to us. We are, we are not going to take it lightly. We're, we're going to be as ready as we can be to serve our God. That's our promise. So, Joshua in the Valley of Trouble, a door of hope in the Valley of Trouble. You choose, not just the title, but you choose how God's going to be able to deal with you, your willingness to let him deal with you during this unique moment. And it is a unique moment, unlike anything the world has seen. God is with you. God is God is at the head of this army. We just need to let him do what he's going to do. Father, I ask you that you would anoint these words and anoint the ears of those who are hearing them and who will hear them. And let us be sensitive to your scripture and let us obey what your voice says. I also ask, Father, that for those who are hearing me now who may need a touch in their body. I speak health and life into you now in the name of Jesus. I ask that the hand of God would be upon you. I ask that the hem of his garment would fill the place where you are living and that you would, as you reach out, feel and know the vitality of the dunamis power of God, bringing you into a position of wholeness so that you can serve. I ask you, Father, that if those hearing me are in need of direction right now, release that direction. I mean, you're not the God of confusion. We're waiting on you. That's a tenuous place at times for humans, but you've not forgotten us. Bring that point of favor Bring that point of guidance as you open the door that you have for them. Some are needing direction today. And I, you know, I asked, was asked earlier today to pray for our sister Olivia in Switzerland that she would find the exact place God wants for her to be living. Whatever apartment, whatever domicile God has for her. We release that answer to her now. And I release that same kind of direction to all of you. We pray a blessing upon those in France and in Western Europe who are going to be hearing the the seminar teachings this weekend in a way that none of us were expecting. But do a greater thing through this venue than what we would have known had we been able to be there in the natural. Lord, for whatever else your people need, whether it's provision, whatever it may need, during this wonderful season, provide that for them now. I speak it in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. But finally, Lord, let this rhema word find its place in us, and may we achieve what it is that you sent it to us to accomplish. And for all of these things, we, we, we say thank you, and we love you, and we end this prayer again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless all of you, and uh, I, uh, I hope that 
you have tuned in to see Luke Benishon as he has as he has given an exhortation today on Facebook and look for Francine on Friday and another Valley prayer tomorrow. Um, look for the, the live streaming on Sunday. There's all kinds of stuff available for you. Another Valley installment on Saturday. My goodness, we're just silly with things, aren't we? But most importantly, look for the presence of the Lord as you're praying and let him minister this word to your life. Well, until next time, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye.